quick note before we begin this episode, in Ryan and I's brief interview with our friend Aiden at the beginning of the episode, you might hear some footsteps or other extraneous sounds, so we apologize for that, but otherwise, let's get right into the episode. Okay, hello. Um, I'm Anand, and I'm here with Ryan and Aiden. And Aiden, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Aiden Bonukwala, and I am a senior at Westminster in Atlanta, Georgia. Awesome. Uh, do you have any interests slash hobbies, Aiden? Um, some things I like to do. I like running, hiking. Um, I like writing opinion articles and geography. Nice. Perfect subject for our test. So uh, we wanted to start off with just asking you, uh, the subject of this episode is like cognitive biases. So we just have two questions for you. Um, and just kind of like give the first like thing that pops into your head. So the first question uh, is, you have a guy named Steve and Steve is shy and withdrawn and he's like likes order and has a passion for detail. So do you think he'd more likely be a librarian or a farmer? Definitely a librarian. So why did you pick that uh, answer? Well, one of the biggest things about being a librarian is um, it's not really a very extroverted job because you're kind of organizing a lot of books. It's not like the loudest place. So I feel like a librarian, to be a librarian, you'd have to really be an organized person as well as someone who likes to kind of stay on top of things. And if you're a librarian, you probably aren't looking for the most social job either. Okay, so what if, if I present you with this piece of information, like I wonder if your answer will change. So did you know that there, were, there are about 10 times as many farmers as there are librarians in the US? I did not know that. So like would that maybe change your answer a little bit? Um, well, yeah, because I feel like if there are definitely bound to be a lot more quiet and withdrawn people who end up being farmers and may end up being librarians yeah so yeah that's like an example of what's called base rate neglect where you basically like neglect the um number of people or of like uh things in two categories um and instead think of like defining characteristics um and like basically everyone falls into that trap not just you um, but it's just an example of like a bias in your head that you might not realize Okay, Aiden, I have a second question for you. Um, so I'll just start with this. You have won some money, but you have sort of two options. Would you rather just win $900, or you could get $1,000, but you only have a 90% chance of getting it? I would say I would take the 100% shot at $900, because it's guaranteed money, and even if you decided to wager on the $1,000, you it's only a hundred dollars more, so I feel like having being guaranteed nine hundred dollars would I, I would definitely take that over the thousand. Okay, and so sort of a related question. Now it turns out that you've lost some money. So would you rather lose nine hundred dollars or have a ninety percent chance of losing a thousand dollars? Um, I'd probably rather take the chance because I it's only a hundred dollars more and. Even though you're still going to lose money, I would rather have that chance at not losing any money. 
Okay, so do you see how that's like sort of like the same scenario, but it's just loss versus yeah, yeah. winning. So that's what's that's sort of advice that we also have, which is loss aversion, in that we really don't want to lose our money. So even that little chance of not losing the um, the nine hundred dollars would make you want to switch choices, sort of, even though in theory it should be the same choice for both options. Hi, I'm Ryan. And I'm Anand. And you're listening to What Do We Even Know Anyways, the podcast where we answer questions that you never even thought about asking. Okay, so last episode we talked about illusions and imperfections in how our eyes perceive the world. And so this week we wanted to talk more about cognitive bias, uh, that is imperfections in how our brain kind of thinks and sort of perceives. Um, and so as you ju- just saw with Aiden, sometimes we don't always, you know, like act logically or our brain doesn't always make the most logical decisions uh, and in fact uh, Wikipedia has a list of hundreds of different cognitive biases that influence our decision making away from what would be the most logical choices uh, yeah so we kind of wanted to give some context as to maybe an analogy that explains how our brain is making these decisions before we actually get into some more of these some more examples of these biases so there's one analogy that this uh, Nobel Prize winning economist and psychologist Daniel Kahneman gave where he presented our brain as two systems, system one and system two. And system one does almost all of our thinking. It's uh, unconscious and fast and basically just automatic. And it's like 98% of our thinking. And then system two, on the other hand, is slow and deliberate um, and it's making decisions. So, for example, if I asked you what's two plus two, uh, you would immediately know four, and that's since you've heard that question so many times, that's programmed into your system one. But um, if I asked you to solve a complicated calculus problem, that would definitely require your system two, um, and you'd have to really be slow and deliberate um, in your thinking. And with these two systems, our brain is almost always going to take the path, uh, or what Kahneman says is take the path of cognitive ease. So it's going to try to use system one as much as possible. Um, and that can sometimes end up hurting us. Um, it helps us a lot because there's much less strain on our brain, but there are certain examples when we may be making decisions uh, that we don't know we're making. So I uh, can end up causing some imperfections like Anand said. So like system one is where our like imperfections sort of arise. Like if we overuse system one? Uh, yeah, I think so. And it's kind of when system one maybe overrides system two or does something when really system two should be acting. Okay, so now that we've sort of talked about why our brain is kind of making some bad decisions or not always following what's most logical, I kind of want to talk to you about like specific biases that affect our lives. So I don't know if there's anything you want to start with. Um, I don't know. Have you heard of the endowment effect? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I guess I'll ask you to start off. Like, do you, is there anything you own, um, that just, you wouldn't give up or you've like, you value it really highly? Um, well, yeah, there's this picture that we got for cross country, like this frame picture. I wouldn't really give that up. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I like that doesn't, relate perfectly, but it's still, there's this idea with the endowment effect of, uh, you're going to value something higher because you own it. So like, obviously that picture has sentimental value. So that's part of the reason why 
you might want to not give it up. But this uh, effect can actually be seen in, in more objective uh, studies where, for example, uh, these two groups of people were uh, put in this study where one group uh, was given these mugs and they could either keep them or sell them, but they got to assign a price for which they would sell them. And then there were these buyers that had the opportunity to uh, select a price for which they would buy the mug, which uh, is the item that they were given. So it turns out that the sellers actually placed uh, twice as much value as the buyers did. So the sellers said the mug, which probably actually cost about $6, they said they would sell it for seven, around $7, whereas the buyers said they would only spend on average about $3. Uh, to purchase it so like like it doesn't even have to have like any like actual meaning to you like you just value it more just yeah it's just simply because you have it and i don't know like if you do any fantasy sports but like for me uh playing fantasy football like very few trades happen in our league and i feel like that's partly because like you're gonna value your players more highly and you're not gonna want to give them up yeah also i feel like you tend to think everybody's out to get you. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's true. Like, why would someone do the trade? But um, there's a there's another one that I'm wondering if you've heard of called the sunk cost fallacy. Which I think, I it's think very my brother's mentioned that before because he's like an econ major, but like uh, I okay. forget what it means. So have you ever like gotten a meal that you just didn't like, but you just kept like scarfing it down just because you wanted yeah, to finish it? Because there's kids starving, so I have to. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so that's an example of the sunk cost fallacy where you do something just because uh, you've already paid for it and you don't want that money to like, go to waste. But in reality, that cost is already sunk. It's already gone. You've already paid. So it really doesn't matter uh, if you finish that meal or not. Um, but this can be seen like so much. You always, you always want to, uh, like if you buy tickets to a movie that ends up being bad, you want to stay through the whole movie even though there's really no reason to do something that you're not enjoying um well like are you saying i should walk out of the movie theater if i'm not enjoying it i mean yeah like, <laughs> like that's the best thing to do i mean you i guess you could stay but like if you're not enjoying it like there's really no reason to you might as well go and do something that you do enjoy i guess i've never thought about like, actually just like leaving a movie halfway through i've never done that like I, yeah i haven't either but but i think it is the sunk cost fallacy which is why people do something that they don't yeah. enjoy a lot i guess of times. you'd be like more happy if you left it you know yeah <laughs> um but and this can also be seen like in modern politics like one example from 2018 is when trump was giving a press conference about uh sending troops uh to afghanistan he gave the quote our nation must seek an honorable and enduring outcome worthy of the tremendous sacrifices that have been made especially the sacrifices of lives so of course these lives that were lost are huge sacrifices and and very valuable and it's a tragedy that they were lost, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we should keep uh, keeping the situation going on and on uh, just to come out with an enduring outcome uh, like Trump said because uh, in reality unfortunately the lives are already gone and there's really nothing we can do to to get them back but. Uh, this sunk cost fallacy is why, or it might be uh, one of the factors that influenced um, Trump to send more troops to Afghanistan. So like you have to keep reconsidering, like, is it worth it right now? You can't say like, oh, all this has happened before. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really not important. Like once, 
once something has happened, it doesn't matter what happens in the future. I mean, obviously what happens in the future matters, but uh, something that happened in the past where that's already happened, like it shouldn't well, influence your decisions. Yeah. yeah okay. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, another one I wanted to talk about was, I came across this effect like a year or two ago. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Have you heard of that? Uh, I feel like I read the name in one of the articles, but I don't remember it. Um, okay, so basically what it entails is that people who know very little about a subject will tend to think that they're like, they have a lot of confidence about it, basically. And then people who are sort of in the mid-range, they know that there's a lot that they don't know, so they sort of have like the least confidence. And then the people who are experts, they know they know a lot about the subject, yeah. but they underestimate their confidence a little bit because they mm. kind of assume like, oh, everybody knows like a little oh, bit at least. So um, I guess the thing that's become most associated with the Dunning-Kruger effect has been this one graph. So let me just show it to you. Um, While you're pulling that up, what I keep thinking of uh, is this ad that, I don't know, I, I think I've told you about it that you get on YouTube too, and hopefully our listeners might, but it's Neil deGrasse Tyson saying like, the great challenge in life is is knowing uh, enough to think you're right without knowing enough to know you're wrong or something. So I feel like it's yeah, it's like being in that middle area of, of the Dunning Kruger effect where like you don't undervalue your confidence too much, but you also like uh, don't overvalue or overestimate yeah. uh, yourself. Okay, so can you describe this graph? Like, this is the one that's become associated with it. Yeah, so it, it's titled the Dunning-Kruger effect. And on the on the bottom, it goes from none to expert and uh, your confidence level. And then on the uh, y-axis of the graph is your confidence level. And it, like, goes really steeply up. And then it dips down and kind of gives, like, a U-shape. Um, just after about, like, once you have a little bit of confidence in the subject, then your confidence dips back down and then starts to steadily increase again. Yeah, okay, so that's like the graph that's sort of been associated with, because obviously at the start you get overconfident, and then by the mm -hmm. end you, you like, you know, you, you decrease your confidence because you realize, oh, there's so much I don't know, and then you mm -hmm. sort of like steadily increase your confidence again. And what's interesting about this graph is that it became infamous as being associated with this effect, but the Nobel Prize winners who did like the research and created the effect, mm -hmm. they didn't create the graph and oh. it's actually not associated with it. Um, basically the internet just made this effect and like sort oh. of like associated. So it's it not like this. actually really like proven that the graph is accurate. Yeah, this graph. Yeah. And so basically there was this interview with um, David Dunning, which is one of the two um, okay. scientists. And he says uh, like the graph wasn't initially associated with their research, but then once we saw all of the graphs everywhere, they started doing research. They were like, I wonder if this is actually how um, confidence follows. Because what they had done is they just, they didn't look at confidence um, over an entire like process of learning something. They sort of just looked at confidence in beginners and looked at confidence in experts. They didn't yeah. see how it evolved over time. Uh -huh. And so uh, what they ended up doing in 2018, which was like 18 years after their initial study, which got them the Nobel Prize, um, so they created a, a video game in which the player has to, uh, there's this zombie illness that goes okay. around and you have to determine if, if a, um, a person you see is infected. Okay. And so they're obviously like, nobody's going to really have experience yeah. at this thing that they created. And so then they tracked progress 
of how confident everybody was over time. Oh, I see. And it did follow the graph. <laughs> like, oh, really? The internet got it right, which was <laughs> kind of interesting. So the, so the people on the internet just like randomly like made that graph and like yeah. assigned it to that and it ended up being correct. Yeah, because like it's like sort of logical, the graph. Yeah, but, like, makes sense. And then also one thing he said was like, before they did the research to confirm the graph, mm -hmm. people who were talking about the Dunning-Kruger effect yeah. and referencing the graph were sort of like experiencing the Dunning-Kruger uh, effect. Oh, I like, see. Yeah. Um, they thought they were experts on it, but yeah. they in indeed they were actually correct. They were, they were correct, yeah. Okay, some of the places where Dunning-Kruger applies in the real world, I guess, or mm -hmm. some of the groups that it applies in, they ask people, uh, do you think you're an above average driver? Okay. And I think like 88% of people say Yeah, I think I've average. actually seen that statistic yeah. before. And then they ask people uh, at an engineering company, like, do you think you're in the top 5% of engineers at this company? And like 40% of people okay. said they were. So like people just tend to, a lot of people tend to overestimate themselves, yeah. I guess. That's not too surprising. We're all narcissists, I guess. <laughs> um, so yeah, obviously like these effects have actual, um, actual relevance uh, to our modern to our own lives and into our society uh, and one final kind of effect and then example I wanted to give which is really pertinent to what's going on right now is the av availability bias and then the availability cascade so do you know what the availability bias is um it's like a little bit do you see what's more available to you <laughs> yeah yeah okay so uh Yes, but I don't know if our listeners will have understood that. It's basically where the things that are available in your mind, it's kind of similar to anchoring, um, you think are more likely to happen. So, for example, like a lot of people are scared of plane crashes um, because whenever a plane crash happens, like it's all over the, uh, the media because it's such a mass tragedy where usually a lot of people might die. Um, so people get really scared about that, but... Uh, commonly those same people will drive to work every day with no problem, even though statistically they're much more likely to uh, get in a car accident. Um, I hear that like, it's more likely that you die from a vending machine than on a plane crash. Uh, really? I, I don't know if that's true, but I mean, I guess if you're trying to steal the candy <laughs> you know, and like, it falls on you. Them. People shake them <laughs> and then like it falls them. on you. And like, or at least on commercial flights, it's like zero to one for you. Right? Yeah. Like, Okay, so, so yeah, exactly. So, but obviously people are not that afraid of vending machines in general. Yeah. So uh, the interesting thing about this bias is how it affects us uh, as a community as a whole. So uh, when something happens like a plane crash, then uh, everyone's mind gets scared of plane crashes. And then in turn, it, you hear about it more because it's on everyone's minds. And then you think it's more real so then again, like you get even more scared of it and it just kind of keeps cascading uh, until it becomes this huge kind of overblown thing sometimes. Even if it is a problem, it may be kind of uh, disproportionately talked about or worried about. And how I think this is relevant to today is with uh, these claims of like a fraudulent election. I think part of the way that that became so prevalent is um, so maybe one or two people saw on the news that the election might be fraudulent and then people just kept talking about it and talking about it and different people um, like tweeted about it and then you heard about it more and more and eventually yeah. like it's in your mind so much that you just think that it's true even though it's really might be unfounded and like obviously that caused like violence and uh, 
doubt in our election system that ended up being very costly. So I think it's important uh, to recognize these biases that we have. And um, Daniel Kahneman, who we talked about earlier, I think, uh, with System 1 and System 2, recognizes that like, you're probably not going to be able to stop all of your biases. But it is important to try and think about uh, when you may be acting not very logically. What Do We Even Know Anyways was created by Ryan Hochstein and me, Anand Srinivasan. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure to rate and review us. Uh, thanks for listening.